Welcome back. Welcome into Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. My name is Mike Casaza. Yes, to just like Neil Brown will not be in Alabama anytime soon. <laughs> That's right. I uh, usually go down to Alabama to see my family for Christmas. Uh, not this year. Hanging tight. Um, keeping it small. Um, it's going to be an interesting Christmas. I kind of I like going down to Alabama because it's not hot, but uh, it's kind of nice like on Christmas Day to be in my, my sister has a, has a farm and stuff. So it's mid-60s and kind of nice and right on the water and a bunch of animals around and, and it's really enjoyable this year 25 30 degrees cold snow ice rain it's gonna be not quite as much fun what about you mike would you say it's a top 10 vacation spot top 20 was it was what was it a couple five years ago seven years ago or is it maybe <laughs> not as good as it thinks it is I don't know what you're referring to, Michael. What are you referring to? Did you make a really big decision with absolutely no idea what you would do next by canceling <laughs> your trip to Alabama? No, I did not. Okay. <laughs> we have so much to get into. Bowl game dramatics, basketball game, stuck on repeat. I do want to get into the whole job circus just because it, it's very funny to me. As you can tell, I'm having fun with it. Um way too much at least on my end um tail wagging the dog i spent a lot of time on the phone sunday for reasons i'm not really sure of got in touch with the athletic director that's how high up the chain this one went but as was the case with south carolina just kept coming back to you and other people saying i don't see anything here i don't know what's going on why are we doing these things and the thing is that we work for the 24 7 network and when the reports are coming from 24 7 you kind of want to believe them. I would hope people believe it when it comes from you and me. But in both instances, first South Carolina, which, again, a couple phone calls, a couple minutes, we were able to stomp that one out. Auburn hung around a little bit longer. I'm not sure why, but that one seemed like it was more serious, maybe because of the Alabama connection, not the actual university, but time spent in Alabama in the shadow of Auburn and the SEC in the Yellowhammer State. But nothing really came of it. Um, despite some reporting, and then it seems that they kind of spun the wheel and ended on Brian Harson from Boise State. Fine coach, just seemed like a guy who was waiting for the phone to ring to get out of Boise State. And this is over. It may start again soon. Who knows? I have no doubt that there are going to be other jobs opening, perhaps in the SEC, perhaps in the SEC East, that he's going to be connected to. And this is probably going to happen every year for a while, as long as he's a young and up-and-coming and successful coach. But... Um, Man, it just feels like a whole lot of typing and texting and phone calls and just like rumoring and reporting for nothing, right? Yeah, I think the the South Carolina stuff, well, first off, what's most, I mean, it's not interesting. You kind of expect it. It is, it is people are called fans because of fandom, because they're fanatical, mm-hmm. Um uh, our South Carolina side, I think, you know, they reported that Neil Brown was like maybe a, a tertiary option, like third, fourth, fifth, sixth option, kind of on the outskirts of things. But that was enough to kind of spur a lot of fans from West Virginia. The, oh, God, here it goes. And then Auburn was it got a little more serious, you know, especially when it was reported that he was going to interview twice. Um, Twice, but yeah, you know, he was again like seventh, eighth, ninth option there. I think they ran through 
uh, a half a dozen names before he ever came. But the, that, that's when it got serious, when it was mentioned that he, w- he would interview. And everywhere we searched, it was everyone we talked to. I mean, y- you talked to a lot of people. I was reaching out to other people that might have some ideas about what's going on with this and just to get their thoughts. Cause sometimes when this gets really serious, it leaks down to the team and other people. And it was just like, what are you talking about? Huh? Nah, no way. And it, it, it seemed like you were getting the same answers from people even more important and more tuned in. And I don't know. I, I think, the the reaction from the fans made it seem like it might be more than it actually was because uh, it, it really feels like it was nothing to be worried about over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I feel silly doing it. Um, it's, it's a requirement. I understand that. And I think sometimes you make these phone calls or you text these people. So if I did call you or text you or email you in the past several days to ask about this, it wasn't necessarily because I thought it was true. And I think I explained this too. I just, I couldn't find anything to say it was true. And I needed people to tell me absolutely not or absolutely yes. So for example, if you're Shane Lyons and you're listening, Shane, or if you know Shane, you can get him in front of a speaker. Uh, I don't think I was necessarily saying, Hey, tell me this is true. But like, Hey, can you comment on this? And ultimately Lyons said, I don't have it in front of me, but I have no reason to believe this is accurate, which is a pretty strong rebuke, I think, which is kind of the point of the reporting. I don't think that we were running around trying to make this happen. Trying to figure out what was going on because again, it keeps happening in our backyard, and we hear these things and read these things without any type of like heads up or what knowing what's going on. And you're thinking, oh man, you know, I'd hate to get caught looking on this. And let's be honest, these things have happened before something really strange happens. And it's mostly assistant coaches, but sometimes it's head coaches immediately after a bowl game. They end up at another school, and maybe you didn't see it coming, but you gotta chase them and be vigilant. Um, I want to ask you this I thought Brown. I was surprised that he gave the answer with the detail and the depth that he did. And it wasn't terribly detailed or deep, but he at least answered it when he was asked about South Carolina. Um, There's no way he's not attuned to these things and paying attention on social media. He's on there. So he is aware of probably what's going on, what's being said. And he has people around him all the time who probably relay things to him too. Nothing this time, no, no smoke from the, the chimney atop the, the roof or anything like that to say, staying or going, I get it. But and even even Lyons listening and reading, I guess, from what he said on the radio yesterday where he said, no, it's not true. My coach and I have a good relationship. To what extent do you think there's a responsibility for the coach at the university? It feels like when you're asked a question, you should probably answer. I don't think you can come out and talk about every one of them because then you have to talk about every one of them. But you do have the AD going on the radio to say, is this true? Um, There's some area between or some there's some polls, you know, one's extreme and one's, you know, doing nothing but where does the responsibility lie where's the line as far as what they're expected or what they have to do to just respect your fans a little bit not saying they didn't here if they did a good job at least for south carolina but if it's going to keep coming up is there a i don't know is there an mop here i I don't think there's a hard and fast line that that's for everybody i think it kind of just depends on the situation the coach and 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 the school and that brings me to this current situation and this school and this coach. And I think that's where I'm a little bit surprised that this was not, you, you know, beaten back earlier, you know, that they didn't take it. Cause, cause we've seen how out in front of thing, Neil Brown gets, uh, you know, we know that he, and, and this, this, this program, his group, his people, his inner circle, that they, will kind of take the fight to the story. They will get out in front of it. They will get out and get on social media 
not necessarily about this stuff, but about anything. And, and they're not afraid to make their own videos, make their own content, make their own everything. And, and Neil Brown will just go straight to Instagram live. Um, I mean, I, he, he does it with signing day that, which we haven't seen really seen with West Virginia before he goes out and releases videos about um, voting and activism and the team and honors for honors for his players. And, and I was kind of surprised that given all of that, he didn't, you know, and I'm not saying it's wrong that he didn't. I'm just saying based off of what he's done in the past and with other things, I thought for sure he would turn this into, I don't want to say a marketing opportunity, but another opportunity to help build the brand of, you know, West Virginia football and himself. Yeah, it's not bad to go to the rumor mill either. Sometimes a couple trips to there can, can clean you up a little bit and make you look really good. And I don't think it did any damage recruiting. Like, perhaps you can tell me, but did anybody ask you, coaches or recruits, say, hey, I might sign here in February. I might visit in, in April if we're allowed. Is this guy going to be here? I would imagine no, right? No, not a single one. You know, that's what I was talking about earlier when I said I, I, I went to some other places that you probably weren't going for answers and because sometimes that leaks out. And usually – that's more with assistant coach stuff, but you can kind of get a feel if this is even being discussed. And I think I ran across one player that maybe asked him and it got shot down so quickly that it never moved past like one sentence. So it seemed to not even be a topic of conversation for the majority of the players that signed just, you know, one week ago. So it's interesting because if they're on the the radar for, February, or if they're a guy who might be a 2022 edition, if you happen to press F5 or, or drag down and refresh your screen or your feed or every so often you're seeing this stuff about offer, you're thinking, eh, Auburn's a pretty good program. I couldn't get an offer from them in the SEC, but man, they want this guy that I'm thinking about playing for. West Virginia's not bad. Neil Brown's not too bad. There's, there's benefit there, and I understand that sometimes just letting stuff burn out isn't necessarily a bad thing. If you go out and you try to put out every fire, you're going to be pretty busy, too. Uh, back channels do exist, though. You can get to people <laughs> and say, hey, you might hear about this. It's not true. And then you let the media just do their job and say, nope, not true. Nothing wrong with making us actually do our job in conventional ways, too. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's part of the getting to know you process that even two seasons on into this, you're still trying to figure out who he is and who his people are and, and what their what their preferences are and things like this. Like, I talked to people who are around him this week, and I've never had to ask him questions like this before about, hey, if you guys see something that's wrong, let me know. Or, hey, is, is this like a real thing or whatever? You know, I'm, I'm trying to march down ideas about an extension. I think there's probably an extension on the horizon here if this bowl game goes well, which we'll get to. But um, does he really think he has to have four years or more in his contract like a lot of coaches do? Or does he think it's just like nominal stuff and kids will see through it and it doesn't matter if you put phony years at the end of a contract? Don't know. So I, it's just kind of what drew my um, attention this week was that still don't know everything about him and, and how, how this is all going to go because this is very new. You didn't have this after the first offseason. So kind of fun, I guess. Otherwise, just kind of a drag. Yeah, it's, an, it's, it's a nice little twist for, I think we got past signing day, and I said, all right, time to take a break. Christmas is coming up, New Year's. You know, we'll, we'll get some bowl coverage, and that'll be that. But um, never, never a quiet time. Never a quiet time. And the fact that this happened right after signing day was like quintessential college football too. That's yes. what made me think like, all right, something could happen because every coach is going to leave after a signing day too. Not like every coach, but a coach who leaves is going to wake up after signing day. So, hey, why wouldn't that happen? Um, let's go to basketball. We'll come back to football. And 
whatever bowl game that they're playing by the time we talk about it. But let's go to basketball. There's two ways to look at Tuesday night, Chris. Uh, one is it's the ninth time they've gone into Allen Fieldhouse and haven't been able to win, and maybe that's not a surprise. The other is that it wasn't very good in the second half, and you saw some things that are unbecoming and perhaps uncharacteristic. And then I think within that, you have other, again, poles, again here, one extreme opposite the other. But a team that's been good enough to beat seven of the nine teams on its schedule, and some good teams in there, that, that group of seven, and maybe the biggest problem with this team is that it's not quite good enough to beat two top three teams or a top three team so far. And maybe it's somewhere in between, but is it unfair to push to the side the first part where, hey, this team is good enough to beat seven out of nine teams. It's going to beat RPI helpers. It's going to beat mid-majors. It's going to beat middle to lower half of the conference teams. And you'll see what happens against the top end of your schedule. Or is it fair to say, if this team wants to be really good, it has to beat number one. It has to win at Kansas. It has to beat teams with small numbers next to their name. I think last night, Tuesday night against Kansas, was far more discouraging for me than the performance against Gonzaga. I mean, Gonzaga's number one. West Virginia outplayed them for 30 of the 40 minutes and did so on short notice and hung right with them. And this Kansas game, you know, yes, West Virginia led at halftime. Uh, Yeah, there were a couple questionable calls to begin the second half. But for the most part, the Jayhawks kind of dominated this game. And, And West Virginia only led at halftime because Sean McNeil had one of the most amazing shooting halves Ever, you know, just just utterly absurd uh, shooting in the first half. And that the performance West Virginia put up last night on Tuesday night against Kansas is is not a performance of a top 10 team. Everything else. But but I think that's just an anomaly. I I do believe they are a top 10 team back into the top 10 and they were facing a front end of the top 10 team and played poorly on the road. And, and that's what happened here because that performance against the Jayhawks, you play like that and you're going to lose a lot of games this year, not just against Kansas. You're going to lose a lot of games this year. So I think they obviously have some things to fix. Um, the most concerning to me is just basic defense, like the most basic of defenses because – you know, Kansas made 16 threes, which is tied for the most threes that a West Virginia team has ever given up, ever. And they weren't terribly difficult. You know, they, they were wide open a lot. And they weren't... The best way to get open threes is by getting the ball inside, whether that's passing it to a post and then the post kicks out from double team to an open shooter or a guy drives to the basket and then dishes to an open man when somebody comes to help. Kansas didn't even have to do that. There was a couple times where literally the point guard is walking it up, nonchalantly passes it to the wing, and then the wing passes it to the corner, and the guy in the corner is just, oh, I'm open, and shoots it and makes it. And that's that cannot happen against anybody, much less against a team like Kansas that can shoot lights out when they're open. I can't tell if they're good or not. Like I could see them getting blown off the floor by Baylor because their guards and their their defense in general is really good, and 
Baylor is probably a much better defensive team than West Virginia is right now. I could see guys like Braun and Wilson and even um, Agbaji. He's not really a guard necessarily. He's a big wing, but I could see them having a hard time. They only have one big guy. I couldn't I couldn't believe how well they guarded the interior. I think you're going to say that West Virginia had a hard time getting the ball inside. It's not because the guys are wide open. Like McCormick did a really good job fronting. They did some things that were that were kind of tricky to, to obscure stuff. You know what else was cool too? They run that high ball screen where they curl McBride down to the post and they try to get in that backdoor lob. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't there, they post it to him. They were doubling McBride on the post, which means that they figured something out and they were trying to make sure that even the easy stuff or even the escape hat stuff for West Virginia wasn't there. Um, they were prepared, that's that's for sure. And then, I don't know, man, they don't play for 10 more days, so they could be on to something or not, but it helps when you go 16 to 37 from three. 37 threes, which is, here's the part, though. They missed 21 of them. I swear they got the rebound on more than half of them, <laughs> which was a killer last night. They out-rebounded West Virginia 40 to 37, 25 second chance points. And again, do the math in my head. I don't know how the breakup of threes or twos is, but it felt like every time they got an offensive rebound, they made a three. And it was either a kickback, a kickback right away, or they reset the offense and ran clock again and made three passes, and two of them were the one more pass, and there was a guy wide open again. And just just stunned by the defense. It like, just wasn't there like it could have been. I thought... I really thought they would have their way just pressing out in the perimeter a little bit, but it also looked to me that they couldn't guard in the perimeter. They went to a zone, and let me ask you this. To what extent do you think zone played into not being able to rebound? It was funny. Huggins was asked about that after the game on the radio, and he said you know, he went to the zone because he thought they couldn't guard Kansas man-to-man. Which, by the way, is stunning. To hear him say that, yeah, like, like, uh, here's here's first off, I agree with him. Second off, I cannot believe he said that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's right. I don't think West Virginia can like where they have. I mean, I think maybe a couple guys can, but I think in the long run for an entire game, you got to find another way because that was my biggest key coming in the game was West Virginia has to keep them in front of them on on the perimeter, and I wasn't sure they could. And so I agree with him. I but I am stunned that he said that uh, publicly. But then he went on about the zone and was asked about it with the rebounding and if it affected it. And he said it shouldn't because both of the big men were still in the paint. And I'm, I mean, I can go back and watch the film, but I, off the top of my head, I remember several times where the big men were out in the corners defending threes, out on the wings defending Shiwe. threes. Yeah, Sheway was out there. Yep. Um, you know, maybe he's not supposed to be out there. I'd have to go back and, and check, but it's, it seemed to me like a lot of, I do agree with one thing he said, where on the long rebounds, West, the, the ball hit the rim and bounced that long and West Virginia just turned and looked no hands up, no going to get it. And Kansas went to get it. But, uh, it, I did feel like because of that zone, and it's set up that they weren't in position to rebound the ball. I, he kept saying that there were two big men right in the posts for the rebound and one guy, a third big man in the lane. And I, I very vividly remember at least one big man almost always out of the wings in the corners. The hard thing with a 3-2 is that you're pulling one of your guys away from the basket. If you play a 2-3, yeah. you're going to have two guys underneath. But they played a 3-2, kind of a matchup too. Um, who's the third big guy? Did I miss? Did I miss that? Yeah, I had no idea. 
<laughs> I have no idea who the third big guy was in, in this scenario, but that's what he said. He said third big guy was in the in the lane, kind of near the free throw line. So it felt like that guy should have had the lane covered. I was thinking this as I watched the games. I saw Kansas early in the year when they played Gonzaga. Scored 90 points, which is no joke. First game of the year, that's a pretty good number. But I'm looking at their three-point totals. Eight, just attempts, 18 against Gonzaga, 20 against St. Joseph's, uh, 21 against Kentucky. We're not going to count Washburn. Uh, 15, North Dakota State, 22, Creighton. Um, and then here's what's weird. Omaha, 31, Texas Tech, 18, West Virginia, 37. 31 and 37 are big numbers. Um, and I wonder, and it, it sounded like I caught part of Vitaly in the game that he want, like Bill Self wants him to open up a little bit more and shoot. Did it last night and then did it 11 days ago against Omaha, um, but didn't really do that very much. And they weren't shooting great, kind of low numbers. Um, 23.8, 26.7, It might just be that their talent is on the perimeter and that, that that could be a bad matchup for West Virginia. But I see two teams out there and I see one coach that says, listen, what we might be able to be good at is is not what we're used to be good at. Like we usually have two big guys. We can get offensive rebounds. We pound it inside to some guy who's seven foot, 280. Um, and we got a McDonald's All-American, Mike McCormick, coming off the bench. And we can not rebound and we can play inside and we'll drive and we'll rebound and we'll drive and we'll get you know, handoff baskets or whatever. Can't do that. Screw it. Let's play wide open. Let's pass the ball a lot. Let's get really good shots. Let's make the extra pass. Let's shoot 31 threes. Let's shoot 37 threes. And we'll make a bunch, and then we'll figure out the rest. I don't know what the correlation is for West Virginia. I don't know how you find their strength at open it up. We think that their probably best lineup, their best lineup is three guards, McNeil, McBride, and Sherman. I mean, if they open it up, are they going to make 16 threes? I don't know about that. I don't know if they can do that with any combination of players right now. They're not really going to go away for long stretches from the two bigs. And even if they do go to the two bigs, you're still probably going to have three guards around them. But do you see something there they can do? I'm not saying change it because we don't think they're broken, but Kansas seems to me like they've made a mid-flight deviation, and it worked. Granted, it worked in unprecedented um, success against West Virginia had never allowed 16 more than 16 threes in the game. So let's not say that's the reason to change everything, but could you see something for West Virginia where they say, let's do something different offensively. We'll make enough points. We'll make enough baskets by doing this. And we'll figure out the rest with our roster. Who or what can they change to get into that groove? I don't know. I think, you know, was well, that a it, valid point you think? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's very clear that, to me, speaking of, of their best lineup for West Virginia, that it's underneath, I, I think you, you said it correctly, with the three guards, McBride, McNeil, Sherman, and then it's Osaboyan and, and Culver. Mm-hmm. Um, we can discuss the Shibway thing in in a minute, but in that situation, I, I where is this offense going? Because they, they went with a three-guard lineup a lot and a three-guard, one-big lineup a lot in the second half. And... They went 13 to 32 from the floor and one of 11 from three. Yeah. That was it. Like, you know, again, and then you take out McNeil making those first half shots. And I, 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 what's left? Nothing. Like, none, nothing is left on this offense. He went six of six in the first half and a couple of those were open. But a couple of them were were not, and he was just making shots, and that's not going to happen very often. Like no matter how good you are, you you can't can rely on making those kind of shots. And and 
outside of that, what was West Virginia's offense? I, I don't know what they were doing. I don't know what the plan was there. And I think your best option for West Virginia's offense is McBride dribbling the ball, Osaboyan screening, Culver short corner, and spread out Sherman and McNeil. And hope they're on the wings. You set the ball screen at the top, and Osaboyan's rolling, trying to get a layup, and, and or or stays back as the release if McBride gets to the basket. But I don't know if there's any other option for this offense right now. I because I, I haven't seen it. They can't high low consistency consistently. Like if they get no. the pass in, it's fifty fifty. They make the shot, and it's less than fifty fifty. They get the pass in. Um, it's it's strange. Let's um let's let's talk about the six foot nine elephant in the room here. What's up with Sheboy? I have no idea. I honestly, like, I, okay, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. Like, it's, I mean, before the season, we were legitimately wondering if he was leaving for the NBA draft. And right now, it, here's my question for you, Mike. Let me be honest. Right now, he, he's he's almost unplayable. Like, it was. It's tough to watch him out there. Like he's just not as assertive. I went back and I. It, this kind of goes for the whole team, but I went back and specifically watched the first half just for him. He had. There were nine times where he was the first person to get a hand on a rebound, and he came down with two rebounds. And it's one hand too. Like, it? yeah, it, it's it's not like. If if you're you cannot be having a what is that twenty two percent success rate on grabbing rebounds when you are the first person when you are a six foot nine two hundred fifty pound monster of a man that is as strong as anybody in the game of college basketball and you only come down with two rebounds when you're the first person to touch it that can't happen that cannot happen and then the very first time I, he finally shows like emotion and getting after it he gets called for an offensive foul for, for posting up. And I was just like, yeah. well, that's, it was, it was a brutal call. And it was very, it had to be frustrating for Huggins because that was about the first time that he just kind of went out there with that mentality of screw it. I'm just going full speed immediately gets called for foul. And you know, you could just write it off again. And it was three, three points, five rebounds, three fouls on the day. It, that's, and that's been his standard stat line all season long. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I was concerned about him at the start of the season. I just didn't like what I saw. And what I didn't see was specifically was his motor out in South Dakota. And listen, the offseason was hard. Um, perhaps it takes guys longer to, to get it back. But it never really came back against Gonzaga, Georgetown. Um, it just hasn't come back. And then, again, I, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but when in the first or second game of the season, the play-by-play guy says that Huggins says he could have spent more time on basketball. Mm-hmm. And then that guy is back in the booth for the Iowa State game and says the same thing again, that they really think he could have spent more time on his game in the summer. One, where is he getting that, right? And then how much is that coming up, you know, a month apart from each other, just about a month? That's that's curious to me because, I don't know, that's, that's a good play-by-play guy too or commentator, and he knows – He's been around the team for four games now and talked to the coaches before four games, so I'm wondering if that's come up, too. Same person, though, also said that Shibwe got sick over the summer. Let's not go there, but it's possible that it's just not back for him. 
like if we gave Sean McNeil the benefit of the doubt last year that him getting very sick out in Spain sapped him of weight, muscle, energy for a long part of the season. I, I just can't believe that Chibwe doesn't have that anymore. That's how he was wired to play. And you just don't see him running up and down the floor anymore. Again, getting getting I just keep watching and like he's in position, but he's leaning for rebounds and he's not jumping for him. Whereas if he jumps, he's gonna get two hands on it, snatch it, but he's leaning and grabbing with one hand and that gets him into foul trouble too. It just doesn't look like him. And then I don't can he not dunk anymore? He yeah, was the dunk tracker king last year. And like yeah. that's that 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 sequence in the beginning of the second half to foul three point shooter and then have a have a one footer inside and then it doesn't go. I, I just wonder if, if a a twenty nineteen, twenty twenty Shibway dribble hop dunk and puts that in and then the game's back on. You know, I just wonder if is it that simple? Is it that close? And I don't I also don't know if you can grant him that benefit of the doubt right now, but we're looking at nine games of this too, where it's been somewhat consistent. Uh, and again, very surprising to me. I, I just I just didn't see that coming. So let's take it. This this is what I'm not getting here, uh, and I know it's probably different, uh, somewhat different. But last year, Derek Culver was benched, flat out benched. You know, one certainly one of the five best players on the team was benched by Huggins. I believe he missed one entire game and then came off the bench, you know, didn't start for seven games officially. And all in a row, kind of to prove a point of, you know, you're not doing what you're asked to do. When does that happen with Oscar? I don't know if you can do that to everybody. Right. That's why I think it's different. is it different for him? Do you think that's something that can motivate Oscar? This, this is an excuse, I, I know, and I don't think people want to hear it. Uh, but I think you have to... This is this is so new to him. Like, never mind the sport is still somewhat new to him. He's been playing uh, five years, is that right? Yeah. He's always been the best guy on the floor, including last year when he went in and just beat down the door at Allen Fieldhouse. Remember that first half by him last year? Yeah. He had double-double in the first half, right? Right. Which is why I just I kind of figured that last night might have been good for him. It might have been like, all right, I'm back at the scene of my prime. Let's get it. It didn't happen. Concerning. But I think that there's an argument to be made that he's never been through this before. And I think you have to be through it to get out of it the second time. Like, you got to go through it once to figure out. Like, it's it's like being in the, the funhouse mirror room. The second time you're in, you know how to get out. The first time you're in, you're like, oh, my gosh, I keep seeing the things I don't want to see. You know, it's not real. I can't get out of it. I think I'm out. I think that's the exit. It's not. It's another mirror. That's kind of what he's in right now, I think. And I think it's just going to take time. And, and I don't I don't know him. I don't. But I think it's it's reasonable to say that you're you're watching a kid struggle and you're watching a kid who is having a hard time because it's not coming easy to him, too. And I think about that offensive foul last night. I thought he shut it down after that. I thought that – and not like he, he stopped playing. I just thought that it was hard for him to get back from that. I felt like maybe things were going good. He had a chance. Hey, I'm in. I'm posting. I got it. I'm just doing my thing. I'm muscling a guy who's really big. I'm playing ball again. And it got taken away from him. He just, he just never seemed like he had it back after that. And the whole sequence to start the second half wasn't good. There's another moment, too. Like, you can watch this, too. Guys are really working him. Like, Emmett Matthews spends a lot of time talking to him um, in between plays, after fouls, just to make sure that I think that they're on the same page. But he, he might be the on-court doctor right now to talk to him. And he missed second free throw or he went over one on the one on one I can't remember and he threw his arms up and clapped his hands together and like Matthews was right there on the foul line 
and like grabbed him by the shoulder and just said, said, Hey, get it together. Go, let's go. And that stuff's happening right now where I'm surprised because I think it's that obvious that there's a mental thing that's just affecting him and that if they can get him out of that, it's okay. So I think you got to do it on the floor. I don't know if you can do that on the bench because a guy who's always been the best player on the floor is probably used to always being on the floor at the start of the game. If you ask him to come off the bench, I don't know. Colbert liked coming off the bench. Um, the Rhode Island game, I want to say it was last year, he came off the bench. And I think he said after that, like, hey, I don't mind. Play me off the bench. I'm good. I like to watch the game, get comfortable, figure out how the officials are calling it. 25 and 11 that day, by the way. Um, and it was Rhode Island, too. If you do that for Sheepway, do you think he's going to be able to come off the bench hot? I, I don't know about that. And I, I just don't know. I think you're risking that. Huggins knows Culver. He knows how to press his buttons and what makes him tick. I think that was a calculated risk that he knew what he was going to get out of him. He also did it against Rhode Island. Um, I'm not sure that you can do that to Sheepway against, well, certainly against Kansas, but maybe next game because I don't know who they play next. But if it's like some mid-major team, maybe you do and you just see what you have. But I, I think there's a really good argument that he's not one of your best five players right now. And I'm not even sure it's a good argument. I think it's pretty clear he's not one of your best five. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You, I, think, I think he has to do it. I mean, I know I, you're right. It, he could, it, it might not hit the same way that it did with Culver, but is he going to play worse? Than he is right now. I'm not sure he can because he's good. Like, we know he's good. Like, you know, it's not like he's one of these unknown entities that we don't know if he's a good player or not. We know he's good and it's just not happening right now. So I think this is the, it's the move. And it's also because so much of his game is the energy aspect of it Mm -hmm. and, and, and the effort. And that shouldn't be something that just disappears. And I think if, if, if you can just tell, hey, you're you're coming off the bench, and when you get in there at the under sixteen timeout, I want you to go balls to the wall till the under twelve timeout. Let's see what you got, and and see what happens. And because that should he should be the guy that's drop step dunking over somebody. He should be the guy that's running the court and, and beating other teams down there for for the fast break layups. And I or fast break dunks, excuse me. And I don't really recall him even having fast break points so far this season. And it's not like Kansas was running on him. That's something else that stuck out to me. Kansas was walking the ball. They had one, one fast break point all day yesterday. The entire game, one. And, and what? 
Virginia and 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 Oscar, you know, they only had two. Mountaineers only had two fast break points. This wasn't some fast paced game, and and I think that was somewhere where West Virginia could have, especially with Oscar, especially with as a big when Kansas doesn't have the bigs right now, that he should have and could have been kind of running on them. Yep. Um. 34, 31, 31, 35 minutes for the start. 34, 31, 31, 35, and I'm missing another starter. Oh, she wait, 18. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm looking at the starters' minutes. Uh, minutes, bench minutes 24, 14, 9, 3. 3 is Cottrell, who loved that kid's confidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Comes mm-hmm. in and immediately hoists a 3. Uh, but he also turns it over twice. He made a pass on a high low that he never had the ball, and it was it was like volleyball. As soon as the ball got to him, he just batted inside, turned over the other way. But you're, you're talking again, seven guys, and McCabe's playing nine minutes and probably only played because only played nine instead of like you know three because yeah. of the foul trouble to McBride. Is not a deep team, and again, when you're when you're struggling, and let's talk about this too. Um, Culver, I want to say only four for nine, but he was pretty quiet early in the game. Matthews is probably just Emmett Matthews, three for 11. Osaboyan is not a great offensive player in a funk. And Sherman, back-to-back games, hasn't been good. But when you when you have just a couple of guys that come off the bench, Osaboyan, Sherman, and McCabe, one's not an offensive player, one is an offensive player. And McCabe sometimes can be, but has generally been a liability this year. You'd like to be able to go to option 9, 10, 11, because maybe you catch some lightning in a bottle. They just don't have that. And that's one reason I think you're really messing around with Shibwe is, is perhaps risky, because if you lose him, you lose another guy. And who knows? Um, not an 11-person team. We established that a long time ago. I'm not sure it's an 8-person team right now, but they they got to get something from their bench because they can't stretch their players out. I thought Colbert looked a little bit tired, even though maybe he didn't play as hard as last night. And it seemed like, you know, McNeil... Probably wasn't ready to play. What did he end up playing? Thirty-five minutes. I think he played the entire, just about the entire second half. Yeah, um, yeah, because he took a five-minute break there uh, in the first half. Played the entire second half. Started the second half, played twenty minutes. I'm not sure that's great for him. And and again, one for five, zero for four, two for two in the second half. That's not what he was in the first half. Just things that when you don't have that dependability, where it should be dependable, it's it's hard to to get good. And to to what. To what extent do you think it's bad for this team not to have a bench and not to have options? Because um, there's times with two parts of their offensive lineup and maybe two parts of their offensive lineup on the bench, two parts of starting lineup and two parts of their lineup on the bench just aren't going to be productive. Yeah. You know, you know, the real thing you really want from, from your bench is that guy that can come on and score, uh, especially. And you want that the microwave guy, you know, the guy like Tariq Phillips, Tariq Phillips, uh, Jason Page, guys coming off the bench, scoring some quick points for you, taking over the offense and – who is that? Like, you know, you just listed the guys that played. I mean, Sherman can be that guy, but mm-hmm. he's 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 been off and on so far this year. And we've talked about him. Maybe he should be a starter or not. He's up there, maybe part of the best five for this team. But you need him to come off the bench because you need someone that can score. And right now he's not doing that. And so I, I think there are definite questions about who is going to provide the offense all the time, but especially off the bench. You, you, you have to be able to go to someone else outside of your starting five to kind of spark things, and, and West Virginia doesn't have that. Sherman played three minutes in the second half. Mm. Hard to score from the floor, or from the, from the, from the chairs next to the floor, so that's going to be tough for him to do. Um, 
Don't know who they play next. Uh, I don't think it'll be Youngstown State. They have games before and after conference games. They can't be moved. They're going to try to get somebody. I'm not sure how good that team is going to be. I'll be honest. They don't need to play a good team. Like, if you get Salem to come in and lose by 60, this team can probably use that. I think it'll be good for them to break, go home, hang out, whatever. Um, But then get somebody in, get 11 guys in, get feeling good again, manufacture some sort of a Richmond kind of a a game where you make a lot of shots and you feel good. They don't have to get some top 10 team to come in here. They've done that. They proved that. They went out. They got um, a strong non-conference schedule before the season started. They added to it with Gonzaga. You don't have to prove anything to anybody there. I think they would be – it's going to be hard because you're not going to have a lot of options, but if you got to take someone who's not very good, they don't need the help. I think the help they could probably get is beating a team like 100 to 60. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Got to find got to find somebody to play. And, and Bob Huggins said afterwards that there was no news on that yet. That that uh, they were working working the phones trying to find somebody to to line up a game. And like you said, I, I my first thought was Youngstown State, but yeah, they're in conference play, and I'm not sure if their conference may even have like rules in place that you can't be playing non-conference because they're doing the back-to-back games on the weekends. Um, two games in one against the same opponent. And I just don't think they're going to be able to get a non-conference game in the middle of the week. And West Virginia is going to have to kind of go off the reservation for this one. I think I have an idea for you. Go for it. Are you ready? Yep. Team that's out there needs a game. From New York. From New York? Mm-hmm. Ringing a bell? I got a couple teams from New York. Are you talking St. John's? No. Army! Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Why not? Making it a, a doubleheader? Throw a bone. They're 4-1. and one. They last played against LaSalle on December 6th. They're not supposed to play until the Patriot League begins on January 2nd. Why couldn't they play the 28th? I like it. It could happen. And, and they're not bad either. Um, they have beaten Central Connecticut, Buffalo, and hung with Florida. Like gave Florida a pretty good game and then beat LaSalle. So they're not bad. And I don't know. I think they got a chance. Why not? I kind of dig it. Yeah, I just pulled up their schedule. I'm with you. Next game, January 2nd. uh, Do it. Have you seen their schedule? Look at their schedule. What do you notice? Mm. Yeah, they're doing the home-and-home thing, too, Saturday, Sunday. Back-to-back days. Yeah, well, that's what Youngstown State's doing. Yeah. It's kind of wild. I kind of like it, but it's kind of wild. It'll be fun. Yeah, so, hey, let's make it happen. Get Army on the basketball court. Throw them a bone because they, uh, I guess, I don't know, the have game will travel, which leads us to the bowl game. Uh, I thought it was really curious on Sunday night when we had a bowl press conference with the participating teams in the originally announced um, Liberty Bowl, and the head coach for Tennessee was nowhere to be found. It made me wonder that, is this is this happening? Like, are they going to fire the coach? I don't know. And then you heard right away some things about they had some bad numbers on Sunday. We'll see what happens. Whoop, there it is. It's gone. No game. And then I was really worried they were going to jam Vanderbilt in there and the SEC was going to look out for number one and hand another team a couple hundred thousand bucks. Or I thought it was a good idea to maybe get Army into the bowl mix. They're deserving. They're not and two. I don't care who they play. They're not in two in their Army. They deserve a bowl game. Put them in the Armed Forces Bowl 
and pull Mississippi State from there and put Mississippi State into the Liberty, which is the same day as the Armed Forces Bowl. Got neither. And I think it's the best possible thing for West Virginia, West Virginia program, West Virginia fans, Army, and the Liberty Bowl. I love it. I can't speak highly of it enough. What do you think? Wait. Hold on, because I'm ready to I'm ready to disagree with you here. Oh. Why is it Why is it the best thing possible for West Virginia? It, it's Let's a unique It's a unique opponent. I I don't think anybody cares about beating or even playing a three and seven Tennessee team that does nothing different than anybody else in the SEC in the Power Five. It's a team that tries to recruit the best people and play the same offense that everybody else plays to some extent. It's an eh team that you played two years ago. The coach may not be there. The The best players in that team are probably going to check out and either go to the NFL or transfer or whatever. There's just nothing that stimulates you about that game for a bowl. At some point, you have to get back to bowls being fun and interesting again, and that's not been the case for West Virginia. They get sent to Orlando like every other year to play in some game because West Virginia likes Florida, I think is the explanation. They don't get treated to things like the Alamo Bowl where you can have Holgerson against Mike Leach. In, in a surefire headline game because Iowa State has better fans. They've gotten railroaded and jammed by the bowl process, especially in the Big 12, or definitely in the Big 12. It, it was just time for something different. Um, Army's 9-2. and two. They're a cool story because they were trying to get into a game and just trying. We got left out. The bowl process screwed us. Can we please play? And they tacitly challenged West Virginia. The report comes out that they called the Liberty Bowl and said, hey, we'll play. And the report is not that, hey, we'll play. It's that... They're waiting on the Liberty Bowl in West Virginia to say, okay. And for about half an hour, it looked like, wait a minute, why don't they just say yes and do this? And then Neil Brown says, hey, we're game, let's go. And now it makes it look like that West Virginia answered the challenge. They're not scared. And they played a team that I think America wanted to see play. Like, Army's out there trying to get in a bowl game. You got two and nine teams playing in bowl games, and Army can't get a game? What are we doing? Well, wait a minute. The team I like, the team I root for, the, the place I went to school— they're going to play Army? Cool, I love it. I think that's what a lot of fans respond, or how a lot of fans respond to that news. It's a cool thing, and it's a different offense. It's just not generic, which is what bowls are far too often. This is just something that's different. It's not congruous with the bowl setup, and it makes West Virginia look a whole lot better than playing, never mind winning or losing, just playing in the Liberty Bowl against Tennessee. Passionate enough for you? Yeah, before I before I give my devil's ad, advocate answer, I got a question for you. Do you think it was Army's athletic director or Army's head coach who called Brett McMurphy and told him that? Both. It was a Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) The most blatant leak of information I've ever seen in my entire life. Love it. It was the the dirtiest pool, but darn if it wasn't effective, right? Because there's no way that you can't do that. Once that's out there, that's no way you can do it. Imagine if West Virginia said, well, thank you, but we're going to play the Commodores. No, you would get te- you get pummeled for that, and you should. So, hey, good on everybody involved, especially for using social media to twist everybody's arm into the game. I like it. Okay, so now uh, I don't disagree with the point you made. So let's get started there. But I am going to say that Tennessee, the good aspects of playing Tennessee is, one, I think this team, this West Virginia team, the players, would be extremely motivated to play Tennessee uh, as bad as they are three and seven. It's almost like if you asked your casual West Virginia fan, or you asked one of the players, if you asked one of the players, I bet before the bowl game started, you know, what was Tennessee's record this year? I don't think they'd know, but they'd know they'd play Tennessee 
and a great deal of the players on this West Virginia team were looked at by Tennessee. And then these same Tennessee coaches, Jerry Pruitt and his staff looked at these players at West Virginia and said, you're not good enough to play for Tennessee. You're not. Or, I mean, they, they are pompous enough to say, we don't recruit against West Virginia and sent these kids away. Mm-hmm. And then they get the chance to play them and beat them. I think there would have been a lot of motivation to really just stick it to Tennessee, no matter what the record was. And, you know, you throw in, so it's, it's obnoxious of the SEC and Tennessee and the brand and all that stuff, but it is real, you know, beating Tennessee, just saying, you know, a couple of years from now recruiting, if Neil Brown goes on in recruiting said, did you see us stomp Tennessee? That recruits not going to go, man, man, well, Tennessee was three and seven. They're going to say, yeah, you beat the crap out of that SEC team. And so I think there was some legitimate stuff with that. And then as good as Army is, and I, man, I love this. I love this game. Nine and two a team, a real game, something different, all that good stuff. Army absolutely should have been a bowl. I, I don't care what the the uh, bowl ties in are and all that stuff. But, man, you go from the big name recognition of Tennessee and and what you could probably do to them and how West Virginia probably should have beat them and gotten revenge on those coaches that wouldn't recruit you and all that stuff. And then you're playing Army, and it's going to be slow and methodical, and you're going to get cut at the knees play after play after play after play. And it's just, man, I I wonder if there's still going to be this excitement. I th- I think... Maybe if everybody keeps building up the excitement excitement externally, like you are, you're, do, you're doing a great job cheerleading this, Mike. <laughs> I, I think I think that might keep them. But it, it would hit me. Like if I were a defensive player, if I were, I mean, I guess I'll stick with somebody who's already opted out so as to not make any comments that might seem influential. But if I were Tony Fields, and it's like, all right, here I go. I'm ready for this bowl game. One last thing to get on tape for the NFL. Then it's like, actually, you're not playing Tennessee and all these high prospects and potential NFL guys that, you know, the team just sucks, but individual players are good. Now you're playing army and you're going to get cut and you're going to get cut. And you're going to get cut. And, you know, you increase chance of risk, all that stuff. I, I wouldn't feel as motivated. And so I think that that's something that, that crossed my mind when it happened. Now, Hey, hey they, but real quick, it's better than Vandy. Cause I think if Vandy were coming to town, you might see a bunch of, oh, well, screw that. I'm out. <laughs> Miserable game, too. <laughs> yeah, like, nah, I'm done. I, I just like it. Be, again, I think I think there's a lot of credibility you can get out of it just by playing. And I think you're right. Hey, you, you go into some school in, in Florida and Tennessee's in the hallway, and you can say, hey, we beat them. Why do you want to go there? We just beat them in the game. I get that. I, I doubt very much that there's one player on West Virginia's roster that Army went after and vice versa. I'd almost guarantee that, right? Yeah. So that that's lost, but I think that you have a unique thing that you can sell because those same high schools in Florida, Chris, how many people are saying we beat Tennessee, we beat West Virginia in a bowl game, we beat school X we're competing for, and Henry's saying we beat Army, but Army called us out. Army didn't have a game where we gave them a chance to play, and, and we beat them. We defended the belt. We defended the turf, whatever. That's a different pitch that you can make. I, I get that it's not as it's not as cool of an opponent or or, or as – as high profile an opponent, but it's something different. There, there's value in it. You're right. Your, your argument trumps mine in the grand recruiting sense, but it's not a pointless experiment there too. I think yeah. There's something, there's something programmatic about Neil Brown by saying 
we got challenged and we came out and we shut them down. We won by two. We went to triple overtime, whatever. There's a way to make it work. I think that'll be fun, too. Um, also, we're going to have about four hours to pregame for New Year's Eve because that boy will be over by 7 o'clock. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Hey, hey, related to, you know, let's make this full circle here. Um, at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about the coaching search and whether Neil Brown should get it, get ahead of things. And I said, you know, he's so big on branding and getting out there with his own video and his own content. They have to get out and lean into this we got challenged thing, right? Like, oh, yeah. He kind of like did they, when, it, when he announced it, right? Yeah. Like, I think they got to keep going. Like, I'm, I'm talking, I don't want to say go full heel, like wrestling heel here. But, you know, this this is get that that switch and army joining the thing as much as I just said, oh, Tennessee, Blue Blood, you know, national program, all that stuff. The national media kind of picked up on this army coming into the Liberty Bowl thing. And I think West Virginia has to play into it. I have to, they have to lean right into this and, and be like, yeah, come challenge us. Let's see what happens. Is Munkin the head coach and they play this game? Yes. Is Munkin the head coach the day after they play this game? Ah. (laughs) There's my there's my counter question. In in my head right now, I don't think that there's I think there's let's see, Auburn's closed. Yep. Louisiana Monroe is open and actually I've heard a pretty interesting name on that one. Um who's the other job that's open right now? Have they closed Arizona? Arizona. That might be today, maybe. But I guess there's nothing really open right now, and I, yeah, so, I doubt somebody gets fired or leaves after the fact. That only happens with West Virginia and Dana Holgerson. I've also been told that Army's a crazy job to leave because people don't realize how good they have it over there. Like, you don't get the great athletes, but you, like, you, you live on the campus, so you're not paying for housing, so you're not paying, like, a massive mortgage. Um, you have the military budget is your budget. You really don't have a, a ceiling for what you're allowed to spend or not. And have you looked at their facilities? Uh, I actually just saw some pictures the other day when I was trying to look something else up. Yeah, they don't want for anything. No. They got really nice stuff there. I'm not sure that there's a better job out there for, for him right now. Good money. Um, he's safe there for probably a long, long time. And it's going to get better there. Are they going to get into the Power Five? No. Are they going to end the playoff? No. But, man, there's nothing wrong with winning 10 games a year there and being happy and making some money and, and really a, kind of a noble pursuit there, too. Um, that'll be That'll be interesting to watch. Do yeah. you think you'll ever see a guy like him get a major job? Because even Willie Fritz came from that Georgia Southern tree, but he's not really doing the whole Georgia Southern thing. And and I don't want to say he maxed out, but he he looks like he's going to be a Tulane forever. And I just wonder if you're ever going to see one of these guys who does something different. It's going to be a zag and everybody else zigs. You think he'll ever get a power five job? Hmm. I want to say yes. Because when you're successful, you typically get rewarded. And he has won. He has a chance here, if if Army beats West Virginia, to have won double-digit games three times in the last four seasons. And he would be 4-0 in bowl games, which is pretty darn good. But we're, you know, he's, he's not young. He's in his mid-50s, yeah. upper 50s. Something like that. I'm, I apologize if you're younger than that, uh, but Mr. Munkin. But if you're listening, I know you are. But he's not a young, you know, he's not a young and up and coming coach working his way way up through the ranks, kind of like Neil Brown. You know, he he's an older coach. 
that that's got this job and how appealing is that to a major power five team now if you think i think you could talk me into somewhere like georgia tech but they just got away from that um i'm not sure where else you you could kind of end up i think that the lower rungs of power five football is about his limit right now well speaking of arizona ken niamatalillo was rumored to take that job or be close to taking that job a couple years ago he still may get it this year who knows i don't know it doesn't sound like it but and then khalil tate was that the quarterback yeah threatened a transfer (laughs) yeah because he didn't want to run that um how hard do you think it would be to recruit if you're running flex bone oh it's terrible uh georgia tech had a, a terrible time with that uh, under Johnson, like just terrible. And he was the best at it. Yeah, so it, it's it's not easy, not at all. Lots of negative recruiting, I would imagine. Yeah, too. yep, yep. Although they sent NFL players as receivers, I never understood that either. <laughs> kind of a weird thing. Um, who was the good one from? Not Calvin Johnson, I knew that. Who was the guy? Demarius Thomas was. Yeah. Uh, Georgia Tech receiver too. I don't know. Should be fun. We'll have lots of ways to break it down. Um. Can I can I advertise for a second? Go for it. I told you the story already, right? But tomorrow morning, unveiling the secret weapon for West Virginia, mm. and not so not so much a secret weapon that he can do a whole lot, but he knows the secrets to Army's weaponry, and it's mm-hmm. it's got to be a huge asset, doesn't it? I don't want to give it away, but I told you about it. Yeah, it's it's got to matter, doesn't it? I think so. I think it's going to help in a big way. Absolutely. Also want to point out, as a defensive coordinator, Jordan Leslie is undefeated against flexbone teams. Excuse me. Oh, as a defensive coordinator. I was about yes. to say, excuse me, de- defensive lead, sir. Yeah, uh, and that's... Uh, listen, we, we were on Jamal Adai, Butch Jones watch. I don't think that that necessarily happens as defensive coordinator. It looks like Butch has a defensive coordinator. Um, I'm not sure it's out there yet, but it looks like he's going to hire one soon. Um, and it's not a die, so... You got two hanging out there. You got two leads still. Nothing's going to happen for the bowl game, I don't think. But boy, that's a lot's going to have to happen to 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 really get all seven of those coaching staffs vacancies kind of filled out and ironed out too. So, anyways, tomorrow morning, secret weapon. Yep, looking forward to it, and I'll I'll continue to have updates on behind the scenes stuff from recruiting um, stories. Not to submarine my own stories here, but. When there's no camps and no visits and all that stuff, the stores are not as juicy as years past, but there are some good nuggets in there because a lot of these guys were on the radar even two summers ago. So there's still some good stuff coming in there. Uh, I'll have one of those each day this week, some new 2022 offers going out. I'll have updates on uh, and a breakdown of the scholarship situation for West Virginia. Necessary content. Um, and then just kind of a couple of slow days for the holidays, uh, do visit the website, but Hey, do enjoy your time with, um, whoever you're fortunate enough to be around here, Chris, that'll be enriching for you, not Alabama, but no, that seems to be the trend. No one's going to Alabama. <laughs> Anything else? As, as, as far as you know, as far as you know, <laughs> all right, well, that'll wrap it up until next time. I am Mike Casaza, and I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.